All right, good morning, everybody. Our children can be dismissed to Children's Church. They can head on out, or parents, feel free to take them out if you'd like to, and they'll head to their classes, and we'll invite them back in at the end of the message time, come back in for our responsive worship time. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1, I would appreciate that. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one there uh, in the pew rack right in front of you. You can use that to follow along. I know some of you are tech savvy and have it on your phones too, but let's uh, head to Genesis 1. We'll be there for a while today. We, uh, we're starting a new series today, and uh, it's a series been kind of in the making for a while with a desire and, and knowledge that these are topics that sometimes are tough to deal with and talk about. Uh, given our culture, but it's necessary to approach them in a biblical way that we'd find biblical insight. The, the series is called Designed Then Deceived. Designed Then Deceived. Uh, it, it carries about the, uh, the knowledge that, that there is a design that God has created us in, and there is a deception happening. And what we find in, in all of humanity since the beginning is that God created and then Satan counterfeited. And that, that Satan is continually putting a counterfeit in front of us, hoping that we'll take the bait, right? It's, it's like when you go fishing. Uh, we lure all of these fish in most of the time with a counterfeit, right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a man-made lure of some sort or a, or a man-made fly of some sort. Uh, you're trying to get them to bite and take the bait, the lure. And it uh, sometimes is, is enticing enough that we fishermen have success. Sometimes it's not as enticing as it should be, and we don't. They say, yeah, I don't think so. I can see that's not real. But it's true with Satan and true with us, too. We're just the fish. God is the real deal, and Satan is the counterfeit, and he lures all kinds of little carrots in front of us to try to grab our attention and grab the affections of our heart. Uh, as I introduce this topic, or this series, rather, um, I want you to understand it, kind of where it comes from um, and what it, what it is and what it is not. I just finished a Bible study through the book of Jude, with our men's group, and uh, I had a terrific time with that. Loved uh, having those times of sharing back and forth uh, with those men in that study. But one of the things that Jude had asked to, uh, us to do as Christians is that we would uh, contend. We'd stand and we'd contend for the gospel. We contend for the gospel. So, so today, as we begin this series, I, I want us to understand that, that what we are doing as believers is always contending for the gospel. But here's what that doesn't mean, right? It, 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 well, what it doesn't mean is I contend for my own personal preference. It doesn't mean that I contend for my political party or my political party's position. Jude would have said that, right? What, it doesn't mean that I contend for uh, letting my sin reign still and, and I, I want to have it and keep it. What Jude said was contend for the, what was the word? Gospel. And, and we know that the gospel is the good news. Right? And, and Paul would say in Romans 1 that, it, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Doesn't that seem like something worth contending for? Amen? Doesn't that seem, doesn't the gospel seem like something worth contending for? It does, absolutely, right? That, that it's the good news. And if, if you are here today and you have embraced the good news of Jesus Christ, you've seen him as fully satisfying, you've seen yourself as fully sinful and separated, and you've seen that he is the one who died on the cross, and he is the one who took your place so that you could be forgiven through repentant faith in him. And when you put your faith in him, he forgave you of everything you've ever done or ever will do. He, he draw you near to God, and, and he made you a friend of God, no, and you're no longer an enemy. And we see that good news, that God so loved you 
And God so loved me that he sent his one and only son for you. That if we believe in him, we would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is good news. And we contend for the good news. So when we, when we talk about this, this series, it's going to be an ongoing series probably through the years because there's a lot of God's design out there, right? The way that God has designed. But, and there's a ton of deception always there. But in this first section, this first part, uh, there's going to be three that are, that are kind of the hot topic issues of the day. And you'll see, maybe you opened your bulletin today, you're like, oh man, what day did I come to church on? Right? Deceived or designed and then deceived. Today we're talking about biblical gender. Next week we're going to be talking about biblical sexuality. And the following week we're going to be talking about the sanctity of life in biblical terms. And I, and I present that to you and I, in this introduction to make you aware that I know even some of those phrases that are used, I'm going to try to avoid a lot of them, that are used in culture are very political phrases. And so we automatically take sides and we want to you know, raise up the scales and oh, the defenses and oh, I don't want to talk about this. I want to not do that. And my, my deepest desire is to go to God's word and say, God, what, what do you say? What do you believe? What do you want me to believe? And ultimately that belief should be in the sufficiency and satisfaction of the word of God and of Jesus Christ, the son who was given for you. That we would contend for the gospel and we would not be people who set aside the gospel or set aside the word of God and say, I'm going to follow something different. I don't, want to, I don't want us to be people that believe counterfeit. We want to believe the real thing. Um, it will make us despised, by the way. If we, if we believe God's word to be true and God's design to be true, and we speak that truth in love, which we should do, it will make us hated. It will make us ridiculed. In fact, uh, in, in countries all around the world, especially first world countries, they're trying to outlaw this kind of speech and call it hate speech just by saying what God says. So if I have to go to jail for it, I'll, I'll go to jail for it. But my, my preference is that I would contend for and that we would contend for the gospel. And, and, and when we don't, contending for the gospel does not mean I want you all to believe the exact thing about what is sin and what is not sin is related to gender. And I want you all to impress that upon everybody else so they can be legalistically like morally perfect that is not contending for the gospel i don't want to give you a list of rules that you'll you'll obey and shape up to become i want to present to you and let you see jesus and how marvelous he is and that when we embrace christ and see christ for who he fully is that nothing else really matters except for christ one of the things that that helped me as i prepared for this study of how to how to present this today was was helping us understand that Jesus Christ, is, it sh he shouldn't be just a reference point on our timeline. We, we treat him like that. Though. He's like, hey, there's this one time I was in church, or this one time I was in Sunday school, or this one time at Vacation Bible School, someone said Jesus, and I was like, yeah, Jesus. And I, I grabbed him, and I, I, I believed in him. But after that, it didn't really do much, right? We set him aside, and we didn't let it, that foster and build and really, really know what that meant to be a believer and follower of Christ. I don't want Jesus to be a reference point for us. I want Jesus to be our everything. Our everything in every moment of our lives. That's what's necessary for this. In this series, we're going to go through four points every single week. Uh, the four points, you'll see them in the bulletin there. If you don't have it, I'll tell them to you. There are four points are this. We're going to look at God's design regarding the topic. We're going to look at the deception, how we've been deceived, what Satan is up to. We're going to look at the, the depravity, like what it leads to when we embrace the lie and we act out in the sin, what it leads to in, in our own lives or culture. 
And then finally, we're going to look at the deliverance. Like, like what, is, what has God established as a way to be whole and right with him? And so that will be what we do today as well. Would you join me uh, in prayer as we begin? Father, I, I thank you for the time you've given us to come together as the body of Christ, to look into your word. And God, I would say for, for many of us, hopefully most of us or all of us who came into this building today, our desire was to participate in worship that exalted you, that lifted you up and, and God put us in our rightful place of humility. God, we, we came desiring to, to learn and grow in your word that we want, want to find and we are hungry for the truth within it. God, to help us make sense of this life and sense of what's going on all around us, that, God, we can look to your word, and, God, you'd help us to think rightly about what we see and what we hear and what we believe. And, God, we would avoid the counterfeit and the deception that's out there. So, God, I pray that we would still, uh, as we even learn now what the topic is, uh, maybe in some of our hearts we're a little restless right now. I know, God, for me, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a crazy, difficult week preparing God, I know Satan was around every corner trying to distract me and get me off course. God, how many, how many times I longed to just preach Psalm 48 this week. But God, help me contend for the gospel. God, empty me of me. And God, as we look to your word, may you be present. May your Holy Spirit be teaching us and working on our hearts, revealing Christ, convicting us of sin and, and the righteousness of God that, that is required for salvation. May we look to you and be changed by you and challenged by you. And ultimately, may our faith increase in Jesus Christ because you alone are worthy and satisfying. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Genesis 1. And um, if we look at our first point as it regards to biblical gender, we see that it is uh, design, God's design. Number one is God's design. Let's look at God's design, all right? First page of the Bible, well, after the table of contents, right? And after the introductions but genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it's the first verse of all the bible god's design here we go genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth i will stop there it's very important we stop there i think we sometimes just glaze over that text and oh okay let's see what he has to say but when we talk about design god's design when we talk about any topic see Gender and sexuality and sanctity of life are just three topics among hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of topics that are within God's design. God's design is way broad. It's, it's, it includes everything. And we need to put ourselves under the authority of God in everything. But that's why we start here in verse 1. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We must start with God. No, no matter how how well I try to teach this. Now listen, this is very important to me, for you. No matter how well I try to teach this today, I have, I have read so many commentaries, too many books, listened to too many sermons on this topic. And I, my mind is like ready to go boom. I think I might have an ear infection, so I'm like hearing myself in muffled talk. You talk about Satan wanting to have his way with me and with us today. No, no matter how well I do at preaching this today, God is going to inform our hearts. And the first thing, and, the, and if nothing else you take away, is in the beginning, God. See, we love the fact, oh, yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, we love to say the stories and recount that. But then when it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, the nuts and bolts being together, we take the nuts and bolts that God has, has designed, and we take them and make something else in our own image. 
and we become the creator, and when we decide that God is no longer the creator, that God is no longer the designer, everything else falls apart. So I may not be able to teach you really great, or you might go away like, his arguments weren't really strong. If nothing else today, hear me, in the beginning, God created. It was not in the beginning, Brandon. It was not in the beginning, America. It was not in the beginning, the left or the right or the men or the women. It was in the beginning, God. And that should stick with us for everything. What what is God? If God was in the beginning, if God was the creator of it all, if he was the designer of it all, then I need to go to him and ask him, what did you say about this? How did you create this? We must start with God. We must let God be God and learn from his design. So under number one, we're going to have kind of three areas we're going to talk about as it refers to gender. We're going to talk about God's design. We're going to talk about uh, the complementing parts. And we're going to talk about biology. We see in in God's design, not only in the beginning, God from Genesis 1. In Colossians 1, we're speaking about Christ as well. We have the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit involved in creation. In Colossians 1, Paul says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He's the firstborn, has first place over all creation. For everything was created. This is talking about Jesus still. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, I, I, we, we have to say, it's in the beginning, God created, but he, it was created by him or through him and created for him. So if we start with God and say, God, you created, okay, great, you created. And then we like to say, yeah, you created, and you made this so amazing for me, God. Look how your creation is for me. And we, I mean, we're blessed, right? We, we live in a beautiful part of creation, and, and everywhere we go, we can see beauty and God's, God's gracious, graciousness and blessing in that creation. But ultimately, that creation points us to him because it's made for his glory. And so when we talk about creation uh, and, and God's design, we're talking about not only did God create it, he created it for him, for his glory. So we are to be image bearers of that and live for his glory as well. So we see God's design. Uh, in Psalm 102, we see long, he says, Long ago, the psalmist says, Long ago, God, you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hand. So, again, acknowledging God, you created, you made, you're amazing. And he goes on, he says, They, God's creation, all the stuff that we see around us will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will all pass away. Isn't that true in culture we see? The newest fad, the newest thing. Like today, this decade, we're dealing with totally different issues than we were two decades ago. And two decades ago, it was way different. And eventually, it kind of cycles through like, oh, they were dealing with this back in 1920s. Okay, I see. Oh, and it goes in waves, right? Because does God's truth eventually maybe stand or people get tired of it and move on to the next greatest thing? It's basically these things that aren't, aren't like of God's design wearing out. But God, who established the earth long ago, in verse 27 of Psalm 102, says, you, God, you are the same your years will never end. I think there's argument all across the board, and maybe even within your own heart or your own home, that hey, God, yeah, God designed it a certain way, but there's been so many years since then, and so many things have changed that just natural course of time and, and, and human evolution, that, that things aren't the same as they were. Which the psalmist would say, they're the same. And in fact, we think a psalmist is as old and way Old Testament, like he's out of date. We had the author of Hebrews quote the same passage. 
then God, you never change. Hundreds, if not thousands of years later, right? Quoting the same passage, then God, your ways are the same. Everything else wears out, but you are the same. Let's go back, back at Genesis chapter 1. I want to read chapter or verses 3 and, and some of the following. I want us to see, so we see God's design. God designed it, he, he created, and it's created for him. It's his design, so we need to pay attention to that. And then starting in verse 3, I want to show these, the complementing pairs. When I say complementing pairs, it's not like I give you a compliment. It's that we complement each other, that we fit together, that, that God has intended for pairs to work in harmony together. It's a beautiful thing. Look at this design. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And he separated, and if you want to highlight this in your Bible, underline it, mark it up, or don't, or write it in your notes. Here are some complementing pairs we're going to see. He, said, he separated the light from the darkness, so there's a pair. And God called the light, he called the what? Day, and he called the darkness, he called night. So we have light and darkness as a pair. We have day and night as a pair. And then he said there was evening and there was morning the first day. So you see the complementing pairs there, night and day, dark and light, uh, uh, morning and, and evening. He goes on. He talks about the waters under the sky be gathered in one place and the dry land will appear. And he said, and it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And he called the gathering of the waters, what? Seas. So you have dry land and the gathering of waters. You have the earth and the seas are complementing pairs. They are not the same. They are not each other, but they work together. God made then the two great lights in verse, verse 16, we're skipping down to. He made the two great lights, the, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser right, light to rule over the night. What are those? The sun and the moon, right? Wouldn't it be horrible if all of a sudden they traded places? Well, maybe, maybe not. It just would be night and day in a different time, right? We'd have to flip our, flip our calendar 12 hours or our time 12 hours. Because, because the sun can't be what? The moon. And the moon can't be the sun. It, it doesn't work. It, it would just flip it around, right, on us. And then verse 26. Here's kind of our key text for today. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. We have all these complementing pairs. And then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on it. So verse 27. So God created. Again, in the beginning, God. So God created. God created what? Man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them, here's the pair, male and female. This is, this is God's design. This is God's, he made them male and female. And, and, and listen, God, he didn't, I think we, we put so many limitations or just kind of set this aside as kind of a passive thing that happened. Like, okay, I guess that works, but maybe not in the way I feel. God didn't have to make two kinds, two different kinds of human beings. He didn't have to make us so that men and women are, are on average. They come in different sizes and shapes and they grow hair in different places and they think differently and feel differently. He didn't have to do that. God could have designed the human race in some other way besides making males and females. He could have made Adam sufficient without Eve or Eve sufficient without Adam. I believe the second one. First one's kind of hard to believe. But God decided to not just make a man or just to make a woman, 
or a group of men or a group of women. He made a man and a woman. And this design, more than anything else on the planet, is what God uses to create and shape the life that we know today. It's truth. It's in His design. They're complementing parts. And the whole human race is, always has been, and will be for the rest of time, comprised of only two different and complementary sexes, male and female. This ordering of humanity is not by accident. God didn't just accidentally stumble across this. It's not by accident. It is also, by the way, not by like a roll of the dice. God's like, let's see what we can do today. Male, female. Okay, that's what we're going with. It's not by accident. It is by God's good design that we were made male and female. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Flip over a page there. We're going to go further on this and talk about this. these complementing pairs still. They, they complement one another. So God designed, He created, it's His design, and He made them male and female, and they're complementing pairs. In verse 20 of chapter 2, man was out there, Adam, this is the, the account of kind of a, a, a zoomed-in view now of the creation story. Uh, Adam, the man, he gave all names to all the livestock, uh, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took out one of his ribs and closed the flesh in that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he, or t- uh, made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from Man, I, I've told this before, maybe in a, in a jokingly way, but, but I, when Adam named a woman, right, he, he's, his name is man, and he looks at woman, and he's like, whoa, man, right? That's what he named, she named woman. The woman was, was created, and, so, and, and you think about it, yeah, i got to ask this question, how are then are they the same, and how are they different? And see, in our culture, what has happened is like we take away and, and set aside God's design and say, well... It's, we're not really different. It's, there's no differences allowed. And this started years ago, decades ago, right? And actually, it started at the garden, and we'll see in a few minutes the consequence of this. But, but the, the deception happens, and we, we kind of set aside differences and say, well, we're going to promote something. It's called sameness. And we do it under the auspice of, well, don't you think everyone's equal? Well, yes, I, I think everyone's equal. Well, then everyone's the same. Well, wait a minute. Do I have to believe everyone is the same to still believe everybody's equal? I do not. I I can absolutely believe that everyone is equal and everyone has intrinsic value from God and are valued highly by God because He designed and created them. But I I can also believe and see that we are different. So what are we looking at? And and seriously, a lot of world religions, they'll they'll either heighten one or or heighten the other, right? Most people say we are absolutely different. There's total differences in a lot of those cultures. Uh, women become subservants or slavery exists and it's like human beings don't have uh, equal value to one another. On another side, they say that we're all equal. We're all the same. There are no males or females. It doesn't matter. You just just do whatever you want. We're all the same. We have the same strengths, weaknesses all together, right? And then we would say, well, it's both. We are all equal, but we're certainly different as well and that's out of God's design. So how are we equal? We have equally high value and dignity 
having been created in God's image. You realize that? That in the beginning, God created. And when he created you and me, human beings, he created us in his image. That's, that's a beautiful thing to think that, that God's, God, the image of God is written upon humanity. So we're equal in that, that men and women were created equal, with equally high value and dignity in the image of God. We, also can, we can also equally share in the blessing of salvation and the kingdom of God. Like it is not just for, for women to believe and be saved. It is not just for men to believe and be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And as they are, each one is a co-heir with Christ to the kingdom of God. It, it, I don't have a greater inheritance than my sister in Christ. We are equal. We are equal. We also equally share the responsibility and, uh, to rule and steward over God's creation. God said you're going to rule over the fish of the sea and you're going to be fruitful and multiply. We have an equal responsibility to rule over the earth and steward it and take care of it. That's how we're equal. And there's, and there's other ways that we are equal. This is not a sermon on gender roles, but there's a little bit in here. Let's look at ways we're different. There's two ways that I'm going to categorize today. One is socially. We're socially different. It was interesting. Eve was made for the man and from the man, right? So when, he, when she was made from the man, that, that's showing equal. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When she was made for the man, it was for a function and a purpose. Do you remember what was happening there? It was said that there was no helpmate found among all of God's creation. Now, before you storm out and get all upset, women, listen. This is not at all in any way meant to be demeaning towards women. This is actually what I believe, elevating women. It, 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 hear me out on this, right? Think of how this happened. Once Adam was created, and God created all the animals and all the plants and all the trees, and everything was there, and God was there too, right? But, but he, Adam looked around, he's like, None of these will work. Like I, and, and think about the, the gist of this. Once Adam was created, neither Adam nor anything else in creation was suitable to help him. Here's what I think what God was looking at. He's like, whoa, you see Adam down there? This guy, he needs some help. But you, you see, women, do you see that? I, I see it every day in my home. I am so grateful that God has given me a complimenting pair in my wife, a woman who can do and think and, 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 and take care of and is strong in places I'm weak. Man, I'm so grateful for that because I would be wandering around like, what the heck am I doing? Because I'm different socially. I have strengths. I have strengths. I have weaknesses. She has strengths and weaknesses and and together we complement one another because God created them, male and female, just like the sun and the moon and the land and the sea and the night and the day. They are complementing pairs. They're different socially. I want to tell you a quick story. It's one of my read. I think it was from John Piper years ago. He, he, he talked about the scenario, and I'll give it to you in shorthand. You think about like you know, a guy and a gal, they meet at church, and they're like, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. We caught each other's eye, and and the guy, what does he do? He kind of goes out and he should, men, take initiative, right? Go out, hey, you want to go get some coffee at some point or talk? I'd love to get to know you a little more, right? And the girl's like, well, she could say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not your property. I don't want to know. But no, she's, she, might, she might say that and resist. But she might also say, well, you know, okay, oh yeah, okay. I've, I've, I've seen you worship. I've seen you in Bible study and you're leading the kids. Okay, I, I, want, to, I want to get to know you a little more. So they say, okay, let's go to coffee. And, all, and, and this girl, by the way, she's like a black belt in jujitsu. Like, 
and she knows all of the martial arts. And this guy, doesn't, he doesn't have any of that, right? But you just take this picture for a minute, and I want you to, to, to create this socially different paradigm. The two are walking down the street together, and they're, they're heading to go to car, Starbucks or the coffee shop in town and, and, and sit down and eat or drink or whatever they're going to do, or go, go to Black Bear. And they're, as they're walking there, some guy comes up and, and, and has a gun or, or, says, or has a knife and says, give me your wallet, give me your money, right? At that point, gentlemen, do you say, oh, let me introduce you to my little friend? I mean, she knows all of the jujitsus, right? Maybe if you had a lot of time to think about that and you planned ahead with your, your partner and said, hey, you know what, if something like this comes up, you're taking it, I'm, I'm not. That's not how we operate, is it, guys? Girls, that's not how, and, and think about, so here's a scenario. The, guy, the guy's like, he puts her behind him and said, no, we're, we're, not, we're not going for this, right? Or tries to protect her, and even maybe, maybe he hands the wallet over, maybe not, maybe he gets into a battle. But as he gets into this, this altercation, starts wrestling with these guys, you know, he gets beat up a little bit, and then she comes in, and what does she do? She cleans house and takes care of business, right? At, at the end of the day, first, the woman did not feel like when he stepped up and started, started going for it, she did not feel like, well, how dare you not let me use my gifting? And socially, we're different, and socially, we're wired to be men who lead and take initiative and protect and provide, and women respond well to that. I'm telling you what, gentlemen, women respond well when they, not, not when they're demeaned and not when they're lorded over, not when they're t- treated as property, but when you go to them and say, I'm going to serve and love and lead you the way God has designed me to do that, in that kind of scenario, the woman's like, yeah. You know, after that whole thing happened and she cleaned house, she looked at what his actions were to provide and to protect and to take care of her and to, and, to, and to give her safety. And what did her heart do? It endeared itself closer to him, didn't it? Like, oh, wow, this, this is a dude. This is a man. He's taking responsibility. He's taking initiative. He wants to provide and protect. This is how he loves. And in the back of your mind, woman, you're like, Maybe, yeah, I, I probably could have handled that myself. Yeah, but you're like, I'm okay with him doing that. I'm okay with him showing that initiative because that's, that's how we're wired. We're different socially, right? We're different. The second way we're different, uh, by, di- by, yeah, the second way we're different is biologically. This should be one of those no-brainers, right? And I get you, you could talk science all day long and say there's anomalies. Yeah, there's, there's, when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and in some ways, in some instances, by the very, very few, there, there, there's real like confusion about what gender am I? What role do I play? I feel this way. And listen, there's help out there. There's, there's, there's love and support for that. Like we want, we want to encourage you and say, you're not, you're not just a freak that's without hope, right? Jesus is our hope and there's help. But what has really wired this in our culture is, is an abandon, abandonment of God's design. So I, and it's, it's, it started years ago in the garden and it will continue until Jesus comes back. We'll see more of that in a minute. But biologically, we are male or female. Like male and female, by the way, are not social constructs. They're not, they're not like afterthought ideas. They are actual biological realities. The future, by the way, of our planet depends on these biological differences. We cannot procreate without them. And, and what was the charge to Adam and, Adam and Eve uh, in Genesis 1? He created the male and female, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. 
we, we can't fill the earth and subdue it unless we are biologically male and female. That's just how it works. And, and you might argue and have all kinds of arguments about, well, you could, you could adopt and you could, well, yes, but eventually if, if we didn't embrace male and female biology and, and procreation, procreation would stop. And there would be no children to adopt. There would be no one to leave a legacy to. There would be no generations after. And eventually they would, we'd all perish. It just doesn't work that way in humanity. God designed it differently. Eve was God's gift to Adam to, to be his helper. He needed it. But also, what God understood is in order to procreate, Adam's going to need Eve. It won't happen. That's, that's another way, biologically, that she was a helper to Adam. It was not good for man to be alone because in and of himself, he could not be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Listen, we are designed by God as complementing pairs, equal in value and in, as image bearers of God, but we are different socially and in biology. That's number one. That's design. Let's go to number two. Number two is the deception. In Genesis, let's go to chapter three. Verse one. In the deception, we're going to look at uh, the, the notion that we have questions. We question God, that we suppress the truth with a lie. We embrace that lie. We, it appeals to our desires, and we eventually embrace that lie in our actions. So in the deception, chapter three, verse one. The serpent was more cunning than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, there it is right there, the, the, the uh, serpent comes and, and the, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That Satan comes to, to get you off track and say, did God really say? To which I would say, yes, God really said. Like, like if we talk about God's design, did God really say that? Yeah, he said that. We just covered it. But even now, even now, right now in this room, I know that there's a spiritual battle going on and Satan is trying to counterfeit what we just learned was God's design. And he's trying to, to grab your heart and pull your heart and pull on it towards something that would make you feel a little bit better about what is God's design, but it's really now your design. The serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, interesting here, this, this is a whole other theological debate, but the woman is the one who responds. Remember that scenario I just had? Doesn't matter if Eve has triple-level black belt jujitsu. Adam should be doing the talking to that serpent, saying, get out of here. He should step up with initiative and protect his family, protect and provide and defend with the truth. In some way, he's like, hey, hey go take care of this. I don't want to talk to the snake. I'm scared. Role reversal right here. Gender reversal. The woman, woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree, uh, from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the tree in the middle, we must not eat it or touch it, which she added, or you'll die. Satan said, no, you will certainly not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a lie, right? What a lie, but it appeals to us. It appeals to the desires within us. Like, yeah, I kind of want to be God. I want... I want to be in charge of my destiny. I want to be in charge of my pleasure. I want to be in charge of and have a say in what is right to me. Oh, well, God's like, I, I, wait a minute. In the beginning, in the beginning, God, was cre I, I created you. I made this. I designed this. I know how it works best. Just, just think about your car you drive. If the designer says, hey, <laughs> this thing needs to have oil changed. Right? Every three or 5,000 miles, depending on your car. 
If you're like, you know, did God really say that? Or did the designer of this car really say that? Or if it's a diesel car and you go to the gas station and get some unleaded gasoline, did, did the designer really say that it only could take diesel? Did the designer really say I needed to change oil? If you decide to go against design, what is going to happen? Not good things. The car's going to blow up. And that's just in a car. And, and Satan, Satan knows that. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to ruin. He wants to separate us from God and get us as far away as possible. So if there's any doubt at all, that's in your heart and your mind, Satan's going to say, oh, I, I want to talk to you. Did God really say this is how you should behave? Did God really say this is how you were to be designed? Did God really say? He said, no, the God, he, he just didn't want you to be like him. Well, how dare God? Wait, who? The creator? The one who designed you, who loved you, created his image? That, that God? Are we talking? Yeah, he, he wants to be God and he wants you to be objects of his love and for him to be objects of your love. So we question God, and we start to hear lies. In Romans chapter 1, which we're going to look at in greater detail next week, uh, right after Paul says the, the gospel is the power of God, we want the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, he goes on in verse 18, he says, uh, for God's wrath, God's judgment, God's anger is revealed from heaven against all uh, God, uh, godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God doesn't like that. God designed, he doesn't like the truth of his design to be suppressed. Would that be fair? I think it's fair, right? And I don't think it's just because it's a pride thing, like I'm God and you better not go against me. It's a, hey, that car needs gas or it needs diesel, not gas. If you do this, it's, it's going to end very poorly for you. I think God has a sense of love towards us, right? But he, he's, he's angry at, at people suppressing the truth. And, he, and here's why. Since what can be known about God is evident among them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. Uh, just pause there for a minute. And, and we'll talk about this deception. We think about gender sometimes. And, and, the, and the, the gender deception goes multiple different routes. It starts with just saying, I, I'm not, I don't want to be submissive to a husband. And you, in girls, you're probably right in that sense because that husband was a jerk. He was not a provider. He was like, I'm going to lord it over. You're going to do what I say. I'm the boss. You're the slave. Have the babies. Make the sandwich. Every woman would be like, whoa, time out. I don't think so. Can't treat me like that. We're the same. We're equal. And we start promoting that equality and say, well, yeah, we need to be equal in every way. Like, I can do all the things a man can do. And so the, the, ultimately, a, a great feminist movement came up and said, hey, it's women, women are the same as men. Now, I, I'm all for women's rights and women's equality. Absolutely, 100%. We would, why would the Scripture teach that? But to promote and say women have to be the same, it, it, where, where it started was because men weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Right? And so the, there's, there's gender roles that have just been abandoned by both. Men not being men, and then women not being women, and, and saying, I, we're going to be the same. And, and, and then you have sitcoms on TV that all it ever shows is the doofus dad on the couch with the bonbons and the TV remote, and the mom running around like crazy trying to keep, keep, keep and take care of the kids and the family and the house. And, and it's embraced. and like, that's normal. That's normal. It's okay. That's how it should be. No, dads, it shouldn't be that way. Turn the TV off and turn towards your wife. Put the bonbons down and 
turn to the Word of God and feed that to your children. Take initiative that, that God is worshipped, that your household is, is a household that says these things are important because everything around us is feeding us a lie. So when we become passive in our roles, we're in a way suppressing the truth and we're rejecting God. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Satan loves to counterfeit and Satan wants to just have the win, the victory every day. As, as, soon, as, you, as, as soon as you and I kind of push God away, and suppress the truth of who God is, we kind of turn our back, don't we? We're like, okay, I'm going to turn, I'm going to go my own way now. As soon as we do this, and we turn around, guess, guess what's right here? Can someone guess? Sorry, ear problems. What would you say? Satan. And, and it's not just with one option. When we decide to push God away and push His design away and we turn around, Satan is there with the smorgasbord of whatever you want. And he is going to tempt you and draw you in and entice you by your own desires to abandon God's design. To embrace the lie and to live a life that will ultimately lead to separation and destruction. That car is going to blow up. Satan, by the way, knows it. And Satan will never come to you Saying, again, Satan voice, let me see. Hello, I'm Satan. I'm here to destroy you with evil. Come follow me. He doesn't say that. I mean, anymore, it kind of is like, doesn't even matter today, right? But, but we, don't, we aren't allured. We aren't tempted. We aren't drawn to the evil one with like the pitchfork kind of thing in his hand. It's like, whoa, I don't know. I don't want anything to do with that. Satan is an angel of light. And he puts whatever is beautiful right in front of you. That's why when we go fishing, we put a nice shiny lure. Come on, fish. He's not putting something you're not going to eat. I don't go fishing with a rubber tire. Well, maybe for perch, but that's about it. They don't go for it. But as soon, and, and, and we think right now, you're like, Brandon, I'm, I, I'm not going to buy the lie. We already have. We already are. I would challenge you to go home today. And as you're watching TV, because you're going to, and as commercials come up, to actually listen to the content of what's being said and tell me whether you believe it or agree with it. Don't tell me, just write it down or something. Tell yourself. I, I am, I just, I've told you so many times, I'm so sick of hearing people tell me what I should believe. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle that I almost don't even notice it's happening. But I want the truth. God, I, want, I want God's design. I want to... I want to embrace that for my life and for my family. I don't want the lie to be what's on display. So we see that the deception happens and we question God and then we suppress the truth with a lie. But, 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 God's, but God's nature is clearly seen. Like, and this goes back to just the idea of, of if, if we were to really be honest about gender, all we had to do is take a step back and look at creation and say, what do we see? Males and females in procreation. That's what we see. Honestly, today's age, where in America, like it's this a first world, it's a first world problem that we have. Right? The first world problem is I can be whatever I want to be, I can reach for this guy, I'm the same as the same as the other gender. And I don't have a responsibility within my own gender. And it's it's a first world problem that I can say I'm confused about my gender and I need to figure out am I really a boy or a girl. That's a first world problem. And let me prove it to you. If the apocalypse started today, 
There were no cell phones, no computers, no grocery stores open, and it was a free-for-all. You would find out really quick your role as a man and a woman. You would find out really quick. This gender stuff, it, it would matter way, way less as far as the confusion and the lie. But because we're in first world problems and we can, we're fat and happy and can do whatever we want, Satan's like, here you go, I'll serve it to you on a silver platter. Question God. Question God's design. And I get we, we've been duped in many ways. But there's freedom in Christ still. There's still freedom in Christ. There's still the answer in Christ, and it's in God's creation. So we question God, we suppress the truth, and, and he appeals to our desires. And, and we see that deception happens, and, it's, and it is about desires. In, Re- in Revelation, we see this in, in chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, Jesus writes to the, the church and says, This I have against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, but teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to meet, yeah, eat meat sacrificed to idols. What Jesus is saying is, listen, there's deception happening even within the ranks of the church. We have to watch out for it. We can't call good bad and bad good. That's not what we're supposed to do. And and Jesus is like, listen, the the deception is appealing to your sensuality, pleasure centers, your desires. Like, how can I be ultimately fulfilled in pleasure? That's the deception. And and we're enticed by our desires. James 1 says this, each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So listen, do you think Satan knows what your evil desire is? 100%, absolutely. He'll throw everything he can at that evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, and we let that grow and we embrace that lie, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We embrace the lie, and it leads to consequences. But there's a charge here in, in, from James he said, wait a minute, time out. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who again, we hear this again, who does not change like shifting shadows. Don't be deceived by the things that shift and sway and, and change. Go back to the one who created it all and doesn't change. Again, as soon as we set God aside, we lose sight uh, we, well, we lose the stability of God, the consistency of God. We lose the consistency of His truth. We lose the consistency of His design. And we, and we buy into the lie, into the confusion, and ultimately it leads to the turmoil and chaos and destruction. That's the deception. Number three is, is gender depravity. There's this, it goes down this road. We, again, we just talked about it. We embrace this lie. We kind of suppress the truth. We embrace the lie. We it tickles our fancy, right? And then we go full in and we sin. So Genesis 3, if we're back there in the Bible, beginning of verse 6, he was just tempted by the serpent. Now it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining what she's like, that tree looks good, Satan. You're right. What was I, what was I thinking? What did God, why did God keep this from me? It looks great. So what she did, she took some of it, and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, standing by like a good husband on the couch, not leading and serving and loving his wife, not standing up to protect his family against the schemes of the devil. He ate it. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig glaives together, and they made coverings for themselves. Now, in this section of depravity, we're going to see that they sinned. 
Then they hid, they blamed, and there were consequences. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord. So there's the hiding, right? They sinned, they, they partook when they should not have, they believed the lie, and now because of their shame and their guilt, they hid from God. What does it look like for us to hide from God? Just not be around Him. Push Him aside, like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go away. I'll go back into culture where the, I can hide. They hid from God. In verse 9, God called him out and said to the man, where are you? He said, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why was he afraid? Because in the beginning, God. And, and they've gone against God's design. Then he asked, who told you this? Where did this come from? Who, who made you believe you should do this? And then so they sinned and they've, they've hid from God and now they're blaming. What does the man do? Uh, God, the <laughs> that woman you gave me, she's the one who did it. I gave her, I gave you, to, you needed help and I gave her to you, but you were to love and lead and serve and take initiative and protect and you didn't do that, right? Uh, the woman I gave. So he says, well, what, what's up with this woman? What'd you do? She said, the serpent deceived me. What are they doing? Somebody else's fault. Not mine. The blame. This is that, that, Depravity, that's where we go. It's not my fault I'm the way I am. I, I'm not going to take responsibility for the, my actions. Later, so he, he's, now they're blaming everybody, right? And then at the end of that, there's, there's the consequences they're going to sit in. We saw this in Psalm 1, right? And uh, I'm going to turn there real quick. I just don't, I don't have it on my paper. I want to butcher it. There's this, this motion that goes towards sin and what it looks like when we do. Oh, Psalms, here we go. <clears throat> Getting there, promise. There it is. Um, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Right? We, we walk, I walk oh, we away from God and in, in, into the lie, and we stand there like, yeah, these desires, I like this. I like what I'm feeling. And so what do we do? We look around and we sit down. I'm going to park myself right here. This is where I'm going to be. I'm going to live here. You're not going to be happy if you do that. That's what the psalm would say. Later on, God came with consequences. Down at verse 16 in Genesis 3. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You're going to bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband. So women, oh, we had created wonderful roles as a helpmate. Now, because of the fall, your desire is to be a burden and overbear your husband. And then in return, what happens? And your husband's desire, he will rule over you. We have this tension now that we have, to, we have to now fight and resist and always go back to in humility to god's design for our marriages and for our churches he goes on and uh to the man he tells tells him you're cursed right the ground is cursed because of you you'll eat from from it by, by painful labor it's going to produce thorns and thistles and you have to sweat and work hard in the soil and and you came from dust and you're going to return to the dust Adam and Eve were immortal. They, were, they enjoyed the company of God. They would live forever. And now they were going to die because they had been deceived. They believed the lie. They partook in the lie. And now the depravity they have created is, is a consequence to sin. <clears throat> if we embrace the lie, the lie will ultimately embrace us. Back in Romans 1, there's some stuff here that we'll, again, we'll talk about more next week, but I want to read 24 to 25. It says, Therefore God delivered them over. So they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They, they didn't consider it worthwhile to acknowledge God. So God handed them over 
through the desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity. So their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and created what has been created, worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator who is to be forever praised. That's, that's what happened. God's like, I guess if, if you want to lie, you can have it. Go for it. And the natural consequences will come. I, I want to take a minute. I, I wrote these down. I actually typed these out because my chicken scratch didn't do it justice. I, I want us to just for a minute look around at, at the craziness and the madness that has ensued because we have been lied to, we've bought into the lie, and that we have gone down this road of sinful depravity. I, and, and listen, I, I, be very careful, please. As I read through this, I am not reading this to make a laughing stock of anything, but to show you and, and to reveal to me the reality of the madness of depravity when we choose to embrace the lie. What do we see? What are we seeing as, as biblical ge- gender is challenged? What madness are we seeing? We're seeing broken homes. Single mothers, absent fathers, and multiple uncommitted sexual partners are becoming the norm. And statistics, even old statistics, are showing that in the home, in those kinds of homes and communities that are that that sexual promiscuity is at an all-time high, and teen pregnancy are the highest in those communities, in those homes. Ones that say, hey, it's okay, single moms, absent fathers, multiple partners, no big deal. Statistics are showing also upwards that 70% of violent crimes are committed by people from these broken homes. And we think we don't have a problem. We think that gender is not important. We think that having godly men and godly women, it doesn't matter. And again, I'll go back to, I don't like the condition of men and women, just what they feel. Because, okay, you put an ungodly man and an ungodly woman in a house, it's going to be chaos still. There's got to be a yielding of the heart back to God and his design. The problem is this, nobody takes responsibility. They do what they want, and they do what feels good. There's no commitment, and selfless, selflessness is rare. There's often no good example in the home of how to be a mature male or a mature female. It's no wonder, with that kind of a model, it's no wonder that people hate God and push Him away. It's, it's an epidemic within my generation and lower. They are, they've seen something happen within the home, and they are, I am done they push God away. They live, and then from that, they live confused and burdened lives. And Satan sets up his trap consistently for them. We end up confused. We end up rejecting God. Again, Satan moves in with all of the different smorgasbord that he has in front of us. And we go down the rabbit hole. Going on to gender, re- retail stores have normalized this now. We're seeing... This with a, with a huge transgender movement and an f- affirmation within culture. It's okay to not know if you're a man or a woman. In fact, there's not only two genders, there's any gender you want. It's not the case. That's not God's design. One retailer was offering a woman's bathing suit that had a tuck-friendly pocket in it. Let me let that sink in for a minute of what that means. Tuck-friendly. By the way, these swimming suits were not just for adult women. They were in the children's racks. Tuck friendly. A biological male could feel more comfortable having the ability to tuck his biological parts. By the way, that clothing line was made by a self-described 
transgender Satanist. He claims that. I'm a transgender Satanist. He's okay being identified as, as a demon. Disney jumped on board and had a man with a mustache wearing a princess dress welcoming children into the enchanted chamber. All week, all week long, by the way, I've wanted to puke. We now have schools approving reading material that is so pornographic it will make parents blush. And when read at school board meetings by parents, they're told to stop reading it because it is inappropriate for that setting. But it's, but it's okay for my child to read this. They don't even know the words in this. But it, it's, it's younger than that. There are churches advertising and holding drag queen story time with their buildings for their children. You have men competing in women's sports, and when those women stand up and say something, they've been ridiculed, mocked, and even harmed. They're now, they can't go in public without the fear of that. Sports teams. Everyone's getting on board with this, right? My very own L.A. Dodgers. L.A. Dodgers recently, on their Pride Night, honored the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. When they were invited to be honored as, as L.A. heroes and awarded as heroes in the community, there's a lot of backlash. What did you say? I'm sorry. No one, well, no, no one was watching, right? They, the crowd was empty. They did it really early, and no one was there. So, but they chose to do it. And then they said, oh, no, we can't do it. And then they found backlash, and then they re-invited them to come. You don't, do you know who they are? It's an anti-Catholic, anti-Christian group of trans men dressed in drag as sexualized nuns. Their motto is, go and sin some more. They're our heroes today. These are our heroes today. And I, and I want us to be very careful in this last section. I, and I know, listen, I know we're going long. This is very important and we'll be done soon. This last section, you and I need to be very careful as we look at this. And here's how I was convicted. I do a lot of shaking my head and laughing and joking and mocking when I see this come up. I think it's, the, it's that anxiety within me, that kind of that oh, tension, I don't like this, oh, this is stupid thing, right? And we mock it. We have to be careful of how much head shaking we do when we see the depravity in full display. Why? Because number four, there's deliverance. We are not to contend for Disney's position. And if you had to boycott, and I had to boycott every company that was some kind of weird thing going on with, with this depravity, we couldn't buy gifts, gifts or groceries anywhere. It'd be very difficult to do that. We contend for the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Back to Genesis 3, look at this deliverance. He, he says there's going to be a curse, and he, and he turns to Satan and says, Satan, not only are they cursed because of this, but you know what? You're cursed too. You're going to tempt them. You're going to lie to them. You're going to try to drag them away from me. There is going to be a reckoning for you, Satan. And what does he say to Satan? He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. That woman you just deceived, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head even though you, you bruise his heel. This is, this is foreshadowing Jesus Christ to come. The one who would ultimately 
give, him, give up his life on my behalf and on your behalf. He would be put to death for these sins so that we could have life in him. And as he was put to death and as he rose victoriously, he would crush the head of Satan. Turn with me to our last passage of the day, 2 Corinthians. If you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I really want to look at this deliverance and, and, and see what the Scriptures say about the Gospel. And, and listen, I, I know that there are some of us here who are believers. We love Jesus with our heart. We want to be true to Him, and we're, we're struggling. Maybe we have a family member who's struggling with this. Maybe you're struggling. If you, if you can't honestly say you're struggling within your own gender, within your own marriage, or your own relationships, you're probably lying to yourself. But maybe you have others, other friends or other marriages that are all around you struggling, and they're believe in a lie, or maybe you have friends or family members who are, who are struggling in, in this transgender world of confusion. There's hope. And the hope is not to ridicule and mock and shun and push them away. The hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus makes all things new. And, and you as the best Christian, or me as the best Christian, can't sit comfortably in my skin and claim that identity and say, I'm the best Christian, and that's where I'm going to stand. Because I will stand on nothing when I stand before God. My identity is not in my own perfection or my own adherence to the law or the rule. My identity has to be in Christ alone. And, and as we talk about these issues, I don't want you to think like, oh, if I just do these things, I'll be in right standing with God. I, just, I want you to look at Jesus and say, there's nothing better, whatever I'm struggling with, and whatever lie I have believed, whatever depravity has, has come into because of that i want to just let it be and i want to chase after and run after jesus because he changes everything he changed my heart and as i continually am tempted with the lie he continually reminds me of his good love good design he melts my heart he humbles me makes me a better man for my family for my community for my church and I know he's done that for you. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. From now on then. So, okay, well, from now on. We don't, we don't uh, know anyone from a worldly perspective. So we've got to put this worldly thing aside. This, this battle is raging, but let's set, let's set these things aside for a minute. As even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. If anyone, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So we're not going to fight about all these other identities and all these other lies. We're going to just promote Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, if you, if you are not a believer in Christ, if you're struggling in these areas, know that Jesus is ready to make all things new. And, and, and he's doing that. He, he did that as he sacrificed himself for you on the cross. You realize that that list of, man, just craziness, that madness list I just read, those are the, and, and all the more that what you and I do every single day, that list are the things, the very things that put Jesus on the cross. We laugh at sin. We mock sin. We joke when somebody has it worse than us. But it's the very thing Jesus gave his life up for. Why? So that anyone, 
anyone could be reconciled to God. That relationship could be fixed. They could be reconciled to God through faith in Christ Jesus their Lord. That He's the greatest thing ever. We embrace Him and we have life and we have reconciliation. We're made right with God. And then then we're given this ministry of reconciliation to go out and tell the world. And He goes on in verse uh, where's that 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their sins against them. We're all sinful. We all need God not to count our sins against us. Guess what? When we turn from our own, turn from the lie we've embraced, when we set that aside and we go to Him in repentant faith, saying, God, I want You, You're everything, You're your grace is what I need. Your forgiveness is what I need. Guess what he does? He offers, he gives it to you, and, he, and, and you're forgiven. You're made new. He's reconciled you to God. Now we're ambassadors. Now this is kind of for the believers, right? We're ambassadors of Christ. We should be sharing that message. What's that message? To the unbeliever, uh, be reconciled to God. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the message. Flip the page. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with Him, we also appeal to you. But here's the, here's the, don't just keep embracing the lie. You've seen God's grace now in full display. God's grace for, for you through His death and His, and his uh, sacrifice, His death, His resurrection. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? Don't just think, oh, I'm good. God loves everybody. It's all good. His wrath is revealed against ungodliness. He's angry when we believe the lie and when we don't elevate Him as God and Creator. And He's angry because He knows that when we choose the lie and we embrace the lie, it's going to take us down a path to destruction and separation from God. Yes, God loves you and He gave His Son for you, but He doesn't want you to remain lost and in destruction and in sin. He wants you to come to faith in Him and believe Him and His truth. But Paul says, don't, don't receive the grace of God in, in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. If, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, if you haven't believed God and embraced him and said, God, your, your truth is going to be what I embrace, today is the day to do that. By the way, I want, I want you to know, like, we know this is a heavy subject. After service is over, well, we're going to sing some songs and stuff. And actually, during, during that uh, time where we're singing, if, if you need to talk, and we know there's, further, there's a lot of further conversation on this topic, right? We haven't said it all today. and there's Hundreds of things you could say. We want to have that conversation. We want to listen. We want to help. We want to pray. We want to encourage. We want to support. We want to be there for you. So during, the, during those songs, I would like a couple of our elders to be in the, in the fellowship hall then most of them are going to be in the fellowship hall after service. So if you're not wanting to ask questions or connect there, kind of make your way around that and avoid that. Maybe stay in here, if you would, please. But if, if you need that, if you want to talk, if you want to ask questions, we're not, we're not here to push you down. We're here to say, look at Jesus. He's great. We want you to see how amazing he is. Please take advantage of that opportunity. We'll do that every one of these weeks during this series, by the way. Today is a day of salvation. Now, how have we erred? For the believer, we're going to go on here in verse 3. But how have we erred? This is, 
this was really what hit me hard this week. Uh, it, it actually, it, I mean, it, it full-on wrecked me. Full-on wrecked me. Jonah, right? You think about the story of Jonah, and, and I was, it was early in the week, and my dad was here, and, and the kids were telling him the story of Jonah, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the story of Jonah. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, right? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and go warn them and tell them that they are living in sin. They've bought the lie. They're, they're, they're heading to destruction. Go warn them. And, and, and Jonah, what did he do? He ran the other way. Like, no way. Why? Because they're, they're so crazy. They're so woke. They're so mad. I, I don't, I'm, they don't deserve that. I'm not going to them. Because if I did, you'd probably just love them and forgive them. He ran the opposite way as far as he could. Well, God got a hold of him, right? And Jonah and the, and the fish and threw him up, blah, blah, blah. And he, he, went to, he eventually went. And Jonah's message, he, he goes to Nineveh. And his message was this. <clears throat> 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That was the message. Right? What's great is the Holy Spirit works. I don't have to tell you you're headed to destruction. The Holy Spirit is already telling you, I'm scared, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm, I don't know what to do. And the whole city, the whole city repented of their sin and turned to faith in God. The whole city. I'm not telling you to go to your friends and just do it that way. But, but I want us to avoid his attitude. So he goes out of the city waiting because he knows God's going to take care of him. And he's out there, the sun's scorching on him. And so it, we look at verse uh, 8, and, and um, you don't have to go there, I'm looking at it. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much, he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. Like, it's too hot, I just can't take it. And he said, it's, it's better for me to die than to live. So God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yeah, yes, it is right, he replied. I am angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and, it, and did not make it grow. You, it appeared in a night and perished in a night. But here's God's attitude. And this is what I think our attitude should be. If you're a believer in Christ, this is what your attitude should be towards those who are, are buying the lie. Listen, I know our kids are coming in. You cared about the plant. He says, but, I, but may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. Listen, Christian. You and I need to stop the mocking. Stop the joking. Stop the laughing. Stop pushing people away who are separated from God. You know a couple reasons why. One, that's what you were one time. And it was God's kindness that led you to repentance. You understood your need for a Savior and it led you to repentant faith in Him. There are people who buy the lie and run down the rabbit hole. To, they do not know their right from their left how should we treat those people? With love and compassion and grace. And that's the last part of if 2 Corinthians 6. We're not giving anyone occasion for offense, so the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. Here's the attitude we should have. By great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships or difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Like that's, that's what comes upon us. It's, it's rough, isn't it? It's hard to contend for the gospel, but we, we do it. But it goes into the attitude of our heart. He says, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, 
by kindness, by, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander or good report, regarded as, as deceivers, yet true, at, right? How many hate speech, we're canceled, it's not true. It, we speak the truth and say, no, that's wrong, but it's true, as unknown, yet recognized, as dying, yet see, we live. As being disciplined, but not killed. As grieving, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet enriching many with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As having nothing. And here it is. Here it is at the very end of the day when we look and say, what is it necessary to hold on to? It's Jesus. It says, as having nothing, yet possessing everything that's how we go that's how we go out to our friends that's how we love our community that's how we have conversations with those who are confused or lost that's god's desire for us god's design is good but we've embraced the deception we have been separated by our sin and we live far from god within the consequences of that but jesus is better Jesus can make you new if you would put your faith and your trust in Him. He will forgive you. He will give you the only identity that truly matters is being found in Christ with His righteousness, not your own. And when we have that, we possess everything. Amen? I love you guys. We're going to go into worship here and respond. And again, I want to encourage you to head to the fellowship hall if you need to have more conversations. We want those conversations to happen. We don't want you, because as soon as, listen, as soon as you're like doubting or questioning or like wondering right now and you walk out those doors, Satan is gonna, is gonna give you a bed of lies to go believe. And, and, he, and, and he wants you to be isolated and separated and away from, from people who love you and, and the truth of God's word. So don't fall into that trap, all right? Let's stand together and pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that, that you love us, God, in spite of us. We, man, we, we, have, we have gone outside of your design in so many ways, and we've embraced a lie in so many ways, and we have gone down the rabbit hole of depravity and, and God, gone towards death and, des, uh, and desperation and despair. But God, we, we have seen you as the glorious one. God, your design is what we, we desire, and we desire to delight in you and be satisfied in you. Even though we possess nothing or bring nothing else except for our sin to be forgiven, Lord, we come to you, and, and, and when we find you, we find forgiveness and hope. So God, fill our hearts with hope. God, for those of us who are believers who have probably ridiculed and laughed and mocked and joked too much, God, give us a seriousness of purpose, knowing that we once, too, were lost and separated from you. But it was your love and your kindness that drew us toward you and led us to repentance. Help us be that to the world around. God, for those who, who aren't believers or are struggling with, with, with their role in their family or marriage or, God, just their gender or their identity in that, God, I pray that you would, you would be the God who, who shows himself as, as the designer, as in the beginning, God. And they would see hope that that God who created them in his image loves them, is pursuing them, desires to reconcile them and to make them new through faith in Christ. So, God, we, we pray for that to happen. We know that you you are everything, and we worship you. Praise you in Jesus' name.